Do keep your Bibles open there at uh, John 17. Uh, glory. Uh, we heard that word a few times, didn't we? God's glory. What is it? How would you describe it? Uh, I ask because, of course, it's at the centre of today's uh, Jesus prayer today, but it's a theme that comes up and out throughout the Bible. And when you think of the times you've heard of God's glory in the Bible, well, you might think of it being described in terms of, you know, a radiant or uh, blinding light, perhaps a thundering voice. But actually, as I've been reading the Bible and reflecting on what it says, if you were to ask me to describe God's glory, while we might think of those pictures to f at first, I guess that they're more pictures which are driving us to a place where for God, uh, understanding His glory, in fact, understanding glory in any situation, it's seeing His awesome power and the way in which He uses that power. So, for example, if you were thinking about uh, the nations of the world, how do they reflect their glory? Isn't it by the wealth that they amass from their industry and effort? Or indeed, uh, the way that we so often see pictured on the media by the strength of their military and how they can influence other countries through it. Isn't that what we see the United States doing or Russia or China? Now, as we've read John 17 today, as Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father, how many times has his Father's glory, indeed his own as well, come up? And it does, because above all else, Jesus' desire is for his Father's glory. And so we read this from verse 1. After Jesus had said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Now, before we go any further, let's take a moment to reflect on what's going on here in John 17. Uh, of course, Jesus is praying, uh, praying for the whole chapter, in fact. But he's turning to his Father in heaven and asking him to do what he knows and longs to be done, knowing this is exactly what his Father in heaven wants to do because he is the divine Son of the Father. What the Father wants, the Son wants, but here as God come into the world as a person, he calls on his Father to do. It's a reflection of loving dependence, isn't it? Of his own deepest desire and ultimately the way God achieves his plans in the world. On that note, did you notice the way that this prayer breaks up? Uh, breaks up in each part of the prayer, I mean, or uh, uh, who each part is about. We could have uh, broken it up this morning in this way, in verses 1 to 5, it's Jesus praying for himself. In Je verses 6 to 19, he prays for his first disciples. And then in verses 20 to 26, he prays for his church. We're not going to tackle it quite that way. But regardless, what an incredible privilege. We get to look over Jesus' shoulder as he prays to his heavenly Father and we see how he prays. And on top of that, what a wonderful example to shape our prayers. Even better, 
when we look over his shoulder, we see that he prays for us. Now, we'll come back to that uh, some more soon, but it's where Jesus starts that shapes everything, he asks, in this prayer. And like we said, Jesus' desire above all else is for his Father's glory. Let me read Jesus' words, uh, the beginning of this prayer, uh, from verses 1 to 5. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the, one, the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is praying that the Father would work through him to accomplish his plans. Jesus' glory is seen as the maker comes and willingly submits to his death at the hands of those he made. That's the extent of his awesome power and how he uses it as a sacrifice to win eternal life for those who deserved eternal wrath. The danger was the reason for Jesus to pray and ask this of the Father is that Jesus wouldn't follow through. The danger was that even in his awesome power, he would use it to serve himself and abandon the way of the cross. And do you see how united the Father and Son are in relationship and purpose? The Son glorified through his death and resurrection. This is the ultimate glory of the Father. And do you see what it means? eternal life to all those the Father has given him. You know what struck me uh, when I hear those words here? It's the way eternal life is described at this point, not in terms of location, but in relation. Uh, Verse 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what life is about, knowing God, knowing him in relationship, the the relationship that is above all other relationships and from which all other relationships take their shape. And Jesus prays that the Father would enable him to finish the job he came to do. What's more in our privilege this morning is we know wonderfully that the Father answered this prayer seeing Jesus through to the cross and raising him to life on the third day. I've had people uh, ask me uh, or express to me, you might have had them uh, do something similar to you, that they would like to see the glory of God through plenty and different ways, maybe through miraculous signs that they witness, maybe through answers being given to their heart's desires. But if you really want to see the glory of God, This is where you go. 
This is where we see God's awesome power and the way in which he uses that power in mercy toward us. Now, even though the first Easter was the climax of God's plans, it wasn't the end of his plans. And so as Jesus returns to the Father, he also expresses his care for his own, that they'd be protected, holy and united. We see that in the rest of this prayer this morning. Like I said before, Jesus prays in verses 6 to 19 for his first disciples then in 20 to 26 for his church that would follow but did you see how his prayer shows each of them has their own part in God's plans and so needs his prayer look at the first disciples in verses 6 to 19 we know Jesus is talking about them specifically because in verse 20 he says he's not praying for them alone but for all who believe in through their message these first disciples who had been with jesus and to whom jesus had revealed himself they have their own unique part to play in god's plans passing on the message of what they saw and heard so others may believe through them but it wouldn't be easy in the chapters leading up to this uh, that we heard last week and in the weeks uh, in term one, Jesus warned them it would be difficult, that the world would reject them, would even think that honouring God involved killing them. The danger was that they wouldn't follow through faithfully in their part that out of a desire to serve and save themselves that they'd abandon this path of opposition so what does jesus pray for them what does he ask the father to do in and through them verse 11 i will remain in the world no longer but they are still in the world and i am coming to you holy father Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. Or in verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are left, but not abandoned. The focus of opposition but not overcome. Jesus asks the Father to use his awesome power to protect them. Not only that, he prays that they might endure, endure in his mission, as proclaiming him is now passed to them. And so we hear these words in verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Uh, The word sanctify is another way of saying make holy. Uh, And we talk about being made holy like God is holy, being set apart, being godly, being like Jesus. Here it's driving at the disciples growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus, that they'll be purpose-driven and play their part in proclaiming Jesus in mission. And again, this is a prayer 
This is a prayer that as we stand here today, we know that the Father has already answered, as Jesus had asked it. He did protect them so that they could fulfill their mission. And the eyewitnesses saw the extraordinary transformation in them after the resurrection, where now, even today, they continue to speak the word of God as they wrote and as we have it recorded for us in our Bibles. And as we reflect on that, it's clear, isn't it, that God doesn't promise we'll avoid difficulty and hardship. In fact, he promises we will face we will face it from a world that rejects and doesn't believe in Jesus. We come to the last way, the last way Jesus cares for his own is by praying that they'd be united. Which leads us to Jesus' goal. His goal for us is that we'd be united together and with the Son and the Father. Uh, Jesus talks about it here in John 17 as being one. Uh, You see it in verse 11, talking about his first disciples. Holy Father, uh, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Or when he shifts his focus from the first disciples to uh, his entire church, uh, we read from verse 20. My prayer is not for them, the first disciples, alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So what does being one look like? Should all of us agree on everything or at least have the appearance of agreeing. In the last 40 years or so, and it may well have been longer, uh, there have been Christians trying to persuade other Christians that this is Jesus' call for us all to work together as we hear him pray this prayer to the Father. So for us to play our part in responding that we should break down walls of uh, different denominations, for the Baptists to become one with Anglicans and for the Protestant churches to become with one with the Roman Catholic Church. You may have uh, heard the name of this sort of uh, movement. It's called the Ecumenical Movement. Has anyone heard that name? Yeah. Uh, The Uniting Church in Australia is both a child of the movement and an advocate for it. And there's even a small group amongst uh, Anglicans in the world and a small group among Roman Catholics in the world to reverse the split that took place in the Reformation nearly 500 years ago. Now the problem, of course, with any of these is we believe very different things about God and about ourselves and about how he brings the two together. The unity Jesus is talking about here is a commonality of purpose from a believing trust in the one word, the same word, the word of God, the word of the gospel, 
the word of a crucified and risen Christ. That is the unity of purpose that the Father and the Son share because of their divine oneness. And as we're united to the Father through believing in Jesus the Son, we're given a new and wonderful relationship. A relationship with him that should unite us, that does unite us to one another. And so it's okay for churches and denominations to have their distinctives. That's fine. What counts here, what Jesus is praying for here, and we ought to reflect, is our faithfulness to the gospel given by God and that gospel alone. And so we have, we have many good relationships uh, with other Christians and other churches and across denominations who trust in the crucified and risen Jesus and obey his life-giving word. The danger is, this is why Jesus prays, the danger is we'll want to create a unity on something else other than the revealed gospel of God that we'll think we can glorify God by some other path. But to do that, gospel distinctives always get watered down. That's what happened in the example of the Uniting Church and what it promotes, and why we won't work with other churches that believe a different gospel. Because when you believe different things about God about ourselves and about how God brought the two together, they have to be set aside in order to create that unity that isn't otherwise there. It's always a race to the bottom to find something that's in common and that inevitably comes at the cost of the gospel. What Jesus is praying for us here is, that we wouldn't abandon the authentic message and teaching of Jesus, even when the world rails against us, wants us to dilute it or make it more palatable, that we'll uphold the truth. Then, doing that, we get to play our part in God's plans and others will be joined with us, experiencing transformed lives as we have and as we long for together as a church. And as Jesus prays in verse 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Well, we know that the Father is answering this prayer too in the way that Jesus prayed it, as he has in our lives, as he will in the lives of others. And so let me ask you two questions this morning. The first is, have you seen the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father? We've been reminded of it even again this morning. Jesus' life lived in obedience to the Father. Death died willingly on our behalf. And by the Father raised to life again so we might have eternal life. We may not have been there 
But as it's proclaimed, we can see God's awesome power and the way in which he uses that power to show us forgiveness. Do you believe this? Here's the other question. How will hearing Jesus' prayer shape how you pray? It's a common question on our minds, isn't it? How should I pray? What should I pray for? Why should I pray even? Jesus gives us a great model here, doesn't he? One we should follow. Uh, Not one, of course, that goes off on delusions of grandeur or taking on a Messiah complex. Obviously, Jesus had a unique part in these prayers, as did those first witnesses and disciples. But did you notice throughout Jesus' prayer? Well, the first thing is that he prays. At this, his most darkest hour, he turns to his father, confident that he is both heard and the father will answer. And the other thing that I notice is that he prays back to his father what he knows and sees his father is doing in the world. Let's let that shape our prayers as well. And above all, He prays that God would be glorified. We can do that too. We can pray. We have access to the Father through trusting Jesus the Son. We are one with him, we're told. You can't be any more closely connected than that. And he longs for us to depend upon him in prayer and to pray what is his heart's greatest longing. And so we should pray. We should pray what we know and see the Father and the Son doing in this world. That's our number one priority in prayer. Our number one priority in life. Thanking God for Jesus' part in it. That's part of praying, isn't it? thanking him for the part the disciples had in their unique witness, thanking God that we may have eternal life, knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And having thanked him, we can pray and ask for God's mission in the world, just as that mission and all it brings was Jesus' greatest desire, still is in fact, So we pray for ourselves and our families, for our friends and our neighbours, for our community and even our world. We pray God would be glorified as people find the mercy and forgiveness that has been demonstrated and given to us by God's mighty power. And we can pray all that through the one we've heard pray today. Let's pray now. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you answered Jesus' prayers in the way that he asked, that you have glorified him through his death and resurrection that your first witnesses have proclaimed him faithfully despite opposition. 
that we have heard your good and wonderful offer of forgiveness through Jesus, through them, even today. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be continue to be glorified as we and others like us trust in Jesus and his forgiveness and his reign over us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would shape the desires of our hearts and the prayers that flow out of it, that we would continually pray that your people would be sanctified and made holy and continue in mission, that we would be among them and that you would save many, many more to stand shoulder to shoulder with us before your throne. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.